This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. Today, I've got Anthony Scoma with us. We're going to be discussing Sister Amy Simple McPherson. It's going to be an exciting episode, talking about life, teachings, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's going to be a great program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. It's going to be a great program. Every time I've had Anthony on, we've had a spectacular time, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking about uh, uh, race in the Assemblies of God, the history of the Assemblies of God, two prior episodes that we've done. Go back and watch those episodes. They're pretty spectacular. Uh, Anthony's got a really diverse education, uh, and it I have found that people who read broadly, study broadly, uh, they 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 are really interesting to talk to. Um, which you know, I would say that since that's kind of what I do, right? So a little bit of confirmation bias there. Um, but without further ado, I want to. Well, I say it without further ado. I actually have to do a little bit more. Do uh, Remnant Radio is entirely a crowdfunded ministry. If you want to support the channel, there are links in the description. Uh, you can support the channel uh, with a PayPal link or a Patreon link. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or be a reoccurring giver on Patreon. So it's five bucks a month you have access to extra content there without now without further ado i'll introduce you to my buddies here i've got michael roundtree there and then anthony uh, anthony i'll have you introduce yourself and your ministry uh, but before i do that I, i've got to ask michael roundtree to give me some witty banter how how's your day over there in oklahoma michael how, how's my day i don't know that i have any witty banter for you but uh my day is going well got back from thanksgiving break had a good time with the family so uh and excited about this show with amy simple uh, McPherson, I would, is she, you know, is she going to be on? Yeah. Yeah. She'll, uh, not be on. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. We have this like witch we found from indoor. <laughs> oh no. my gosh. <laughs> too- that took a hard turn quick. I did not expect that at <laughs> too, all. Too, too soon, Josh. Too soon. Uh, <laughs> so for you, for you who, uh, don't recognize that biblical reference joke, uh, first Samuel 28 would be where you go for it anyway. So, uh, Amy Simple McPherson will definitely not be on the show, uh, but uh, she's in heaven looking down on us. I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, <laughs> I, here's why I'm excited to talk about it. We, is we were dialoguing about this before the show, and I asked uh, Anthony Scoma, I said, well, what's your final kind of just assessment? Good, bad, or complicated? And he said, man, she's complicated. And uh, and I've just found that that is so often the case with people yeah. that God uses in big, powerful, tremendous ways. And it causes such cognitive dissonance for the people of God. Like, what do we do with this person that did these incredible things, but also did these incredibly terrible things? And, ah, you know, and um, there are probably some who are certainly watching this show and, and have that same sort of cognitive dissonance going on with 
even a not famous leader, just their own pastor, you know, just whatever. Sure. So just, I think this show is going to be really helpful in just exploring the complexities of God using a really broken person. So uh, I'm excited to explore that a little bit with you, Anthony. So uh, Anthony, to borrow a line from Josh, without further ado, uh, <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Thanks, guys. It's great to be back with you. And uh, I, I have heard from, it's crazy. I've, I've met so many people that saw me on these in the past that'll come up to me and go, hey, I know you from this. Or I get emails, we're coming up on a district council of my denomination. Can I meet with you and have coffee? I love your remnant radio thing. So it's it's a joy to be back oh, with cool. you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been unexpected and fun. Uh, yeah, I pastor a church here in Austin, Texas, that we planted almost twenty years ago, and uh, so started wow. a church here where I uh, came to go to the University of Texas, have a BA in history from uh, UT, and uh, and then left. Got a call to ministry while I was there. Went to Springfield, Missouri. If you know anything about the Assemblies of God, that is our uh, that's our mecca. That's our our Rome, Vatican City, all of that. <laughs> And I uh, got a uh, <laughs> master's of divinity there at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary and then came back to start the church in Austin. Uh, and uh, in uh, 2018, finished up a doctorate in ministry at the Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. So as I like to say, I have degrees from the uh, the pagans, the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians. Uh, somebody in your chat group has <laughs> already got said the, the wrong piece. Presbyterians. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I thought Pentecostals were schismatic, and then I got in with the Pente uh, Presbyterians. And those guys got all their little splinter groups, too. So, um, yeah, they do. But, you know, I love historical theology, and the reality is uh, evangelicals are a little behind the curve on that. We're getting there. But uh, that had been considered kind of a, a liberal field of study for a good while because it's, you know, we don't like to think of theology as developing. It's, no, God gave it to us, and it would look like this since he gave it to Peter. Right, but you don't need uh, that I, stinking I tradition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, anyway, I am a Assemblies of God uh, minister. I've been a presbyter down here for the better part of a decade, and so am uh, very involved in my denomination. In fact, just recently got hired as an adjunct faculty member at uh, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary of Angie University. So I'm excited about that, and going to do some uh, church history stuff for them. So cool. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Okay, so so you know, I reached out to you and I was like, Anthony, it's been too long. We did another episode together, and Amy Simple McPherson came up. Uh, why this topic? Why this subject? Is this gonna? How is this gonna benefit us today? So there's gonna be people who are gonna come to this program, yeah. and we are really well known for walking in the middle of the road and getting hit by both sides of traffic, right? The charismatics would be like, hey, why would you ever critique anything that you know a man or woman of God would ever do? And then the other side was like, hey, you didn't bash that person and, you know, curb stomp them into complete, you know, non-Christian heresy. Uh, so we typically walk in the middle of the road calling balls and strikes, as we like to say. Um, can you, one, tell us why Amy Simple McPherson is an important person in history uh, to sure. look at, glean from, learn from, uh, but then also uh, the kind of approach we're going to have in this conversation uh, that 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 will probably set the tone of not being overly critical, uh, neither right. uh, uh, overly endorsing of everything that she you know, does or say. Uh, can you sure. kind of weigh in on that? Absolutely. And uh, the, the reason I got into it and suggested it, I, I just taught a class actually a couple weeks ago. I was out in LA and I had this idea. I still think it's a brilliant idea. This is a pilot program and I want to teach it more and more, but uh, calling it uh, 20th century uh, Pentecostal movements an LA story. Because so much stuff having to do with mm -hmm. Pentecostal history took place in L.A. Obviously, Azusa Street, 
Uh, the Ariel Seika we talked about when I was here once before about the oneness uh, deal that that all spurred out of a campground in L.A. Uh, the charismatic renewal later in the 60s. Uh, so many things. But then, of course, Amy Simple McPherson. So I have been doing a deep dive on her for a better part of the year and uh, just found her to be such a fascinating uh, in my denomination. We have an interesting relationship with Amy Simple because the AG loved her until they didn't. <laughs> and uh, she was written up from 1918 to 1922. She was written up 12 different times or 12 different issues of the Pentecostal Evangel, the AG News Magazine. And uh, many times, multiple times in the same issue. And I read them all because I know how to party. And uh, <laughs> the, the early ones were just absolutely hero worship. I mean, just she moved like the presence of an angel and God's glory flowed through her. And you just like, my goodness. And then she left the AG. And they started running articles like, is Sister McPherson really Pentecostal? And uh, really passive-aggressive stuff. And, and so uh, it's a very interesting relationship. But really, more than just denominationally, she's one of the most important religious figures in the 20th century. Uh, when you have guys today melding uh, faith and culture, I mean, you just think about guys with podcasts. Hi. Uh, using media to get across the gospel in new and creative ways. She started that. She was the first uh, woman to preach a sermon on the radio. And uh, much less, she was started the third uh, radio station in Los Angeles. So she was an early adapter to technology, but also she was this fascinating blend. She was old-time gospel. So she would take the latest stuff. She was in Hollywood, right? And so she would get... Hollywood set designers to come to her church and build these elaborate sets and 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 do all these uh, illustrated sermons. She was known for illustrators, didn't invent them. We can talk about who did. She was influenced by her, but she popularized stuff. So in, in a sense, hmm. she was like Henry Ford. Henry Ford didn't invent the car, right? But he popularized it. So everybody thinks about Henry Ford, father of the automobile. Amy Simple McPherson in the 1920s did that with so many dynamics of mega church ministry that we would just consider normal today. And mm -hmm. they were absolutely revolutionary during her time. So uh, fascinating. And then to do it as a woman, I mean, right in, in when she started her ministry, she could not vote in this country, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And and so uh, fascinating. I mean, every element of, of culture, uh, she had run-ins with celebrities, uh, Richard Nixon, gave his heart to Jesus at her church as a young boy. I mean, just all these interesting dynamics. Mm. Uh, Vanity Fair in 1930, I think, maybe 31, they published an issue uh, and they had their a Wax Hall of Fame and they created these figures out of wax that represented uh, American. And and so one of them was Herbert Hoover. He was the president. So whenever he was president, that's when the issue was. Herbert Hoover, Mae West, uh, Mickey Mouse, Babe Ruth and Amy Simple McPherson. That's how huge this woman was. That's wild. Uh, yeah. Kathy Lee Gifford did a Broadway musical about Amy Simple in 2012. Didn't stay open long, but uh, she has this quote that she says, if you took like Oprah, Lady Gaga, name two or three other celebrities and put them all together, you still would not have what you had in Amy Simple McPherson. Okay. Um, it's during the 20s. She was in the front page of every newspaper in America. Uh, 
at least once a month. Well, in one of the documentaries I watched, had something to the effect of they did a a search of the the news articles, uh, the Scopes Monkey trial, uh, you know, debating on evolution around that time period is mentioned like a third as much as her name. Like her name comes up so much more in like that same period of time. Um, and again, I'm not doing a good uh, justice of this, but but again, just saying that some of the most important issues of the day were playing a backseat to what was going on with her and her ministry. It was really uh, a household name. It was really uh, was was really used like 1920s, 1930s uh, of her life in ministry. So, um, yep. could you maybe just start at the very beginning uh, for Amy? Yep. Can you tell us about her childhood, uh, her upbringing, uh, her 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 Christian heritage, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah it, what, what's fascinating about her, she's this American icon, right? Who is Canadian? She was born on a small <laughs> dairy farm in Canada. But we think of her with mega, Metropolis, L.A. in America. And uh, so she was born uh, October 9th, 1890 in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Ontario, Canada. Her mom uh, was Minnie. Her dad was James. Uh, uh, her dad was like 35 years older than her mom. And that would be a pattern that would hold up in the McPherson household. But uh, she grew up there and, uh, and loved her life. It was idyllic. Uh, grew up religious. Her father was a very respectable Methodist. And her mother, though, was a member of the Salvation Army. And so that was very spectacular. And so she was always pulled as a young girl between her father's respectable Christianity and her mother's flashy. I don't know how much you guys know about Salvation Army, but they were very, uh, a lot of the things that she came to be known for, the illustrated sermons and uh, drawing crowds through uh, excitement and, and those things, they invented a lot of that, or at least brought a lot of that into the 20th century. So uh, anyway, she's born there. She is very popular. She's very outgoing, uh, would consider herself a Christian, but a nominal one. In fact, later she would talk about her father's church, and she would say they needed more piety and less pie. Uh, clever little thing she would use. But uh, in in uh, uh, 1907, a group came to town, her little town uh, of Pentecostals, and everybody called them the Holy Rollers. You got to think 1907, um, Azusa Street was 1906. So this is very very early uh, Pentecost. And she decided to go take a look at these uh, these holy rollers on her way to a rehearsal for a Christmas play she was going to be in. So this is in December. She stops into the back of this service, thinking she's just going to watch these people and kind of mock them. And she kind of does. They're rolling around the floor and speaking these odd languages, and and she's kind of you know shocked by it. Uh, you can imagine a little town. This is excitement. And then this tall, handsome. Irish preacher gets up and opens the Bible to Acts chapter two and begins to expound on this. And she never made it to her play practice. Uh, she felt like the Holy Spirit just nailed her between the eyes. Uh, she fell under conviction. In fact, she would say later that would be her, her moment of salvation. Uh, over those coming weeks, she just wrestled and wrestled. Her mother did not want her in there with the Pentecostals. Uh, and so, uh, uh, she got snowed in early the next year, uh, February 1st, 1908, in a snowstorm. She was at this house that a lot of the Pentecostals were living in, and she got baptized with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. Her mother was worried about her because she couldn't find her. She called there. 
got through to her on the telephone and Amy couldn't speak in English to her. She's just speaking in tongues. So she was furious at her. She came home. Hate it when that Amy happens. Challenged... What? I hate it when that happens. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. So mom didn't like it. Dad's like, whatever. Dad was like, whatever her whole life. But uh, mom wasn't. She was, they, they would clash a lot. And so Amy said, if you can prove to me from the scriptures, this is fake. I'll walk away from it. And so Minnie's like, you're on. And so she dug into the scriptures. She dug, she dug and came away saying, no, actually, I think they're right. And, uh, and we're wrong. So she joined her in, uh, in, in that dynamic and Minnie would be her right hand person, um, until 1927 when Amy fired her, which is a whole nother story. Yeah. So anyway, Amy got something more at that prayer meeting though, than the Holy ghost. She got the preacher. And uh, a lot of people say, how much did Robert Simple uh, impact, you know, her decision to pursue Pentecost as, you know, as much as the Holy Spirit and the experience. But they quickly uh, uh, fell in love. Uh, Simple's an interesting guy. He was an immigrant from uh, uh, Northern Ireland who came to the States and he got Pentecost in 1906 from a guy named William uh, Durham, William H. Durham in Chicago, mm. who he had received the infilling of the Holy Spirit at the laying on of hands of William Seymour at Pentecost, I mean, at uh, Azusa. Mm. So you've got a direct line from Azusa to Amy Simple, which is so interesting because she will eventually plant her church blocks away from the uh, original Azusa Street mission. So anyway, she and Robert get married, uh, I've got all the dates on my cheat sheet here, but April 12th, 1908, they quickly moved to Chicago where William Durham is a mentor to, to both of them. That's the first place that uh, Amy preaches. Um, interesting deal. In, in, in October of 1909, Amy fell down some stairs on her way to a, a, a meeting and really tore up her ankle uh, so much so that she was going to have to have surgery. And so on the eve of surgery, she asked William Durham to lay hands on her and pray for her healing. And she said when he did, she felt something pop in her ankle and she was instantly healed. And so the first occurrence of healing that she experienced in her life took place in her own body. It's the first mm. one she ever saw. And she would, of course, become a, a very well-known, uh, great healing evangelist. So uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, at the same time, they felt a call to missions. So many early Pentecostals, this was the thing, right? Because it's all end times. You got to understand her end times fervor, like for so many Pentecostals drove them. She would be shocked to think that we're sitting here in 2022 talking about her. We, we should have already been raptured and in heaven by now. So uh, mm -hmm. what you got to do is got to get out and spread that gospel. So they felt a call to go to China as, as missionaries. Now that's, you didn't get on an airplane, right? That's a long boat ride. And so they mm -hmm. traveled first to Ireland and London to meet his parents and and then eventually, uh, in, in June of uh, uh, 1910, they arrived in Hong Kong. Now, I want you to think about this timeline, and then I'll stop and we can talk about things. Think about this timeline. June, they arrive in Hong Kong. July, they both get malaria. Okay, now, And she's pregnant, by the way, but that's not going to stop her from following the Holy Spirit. So they get malaria. In August, Robert dies, okay, of of malaria. Josh, you just <laughs> laughed, bro. 
Bro, it's Bro, such a wild story. You Can you, I mean, laugh. It's, it's like an uncomfortable laugh. Can you imagine Dang, like man. moving to a foreign country? Yeah, like to I, and, and they moved there on the grounds that they thought their tongue sounded like Chinese, right? I don't know about that. That that did happen. There, there's some people that did but I don't happen, know if it was them. But some people think that had already been disproved before that. So that's Okay, so there there there's definitely did, did. conflicting data on this. Is that what you're saying? But, yes, but they okay. definitely felt the Holy Spirit calling them there. And, sure. And that they, you know, that God was going to open the door and they were going to win the Chinese for Christ. There's no question about that. So instead, they both get sick. They're in different wards. She goes to visit him the night before. He says, my darling, I'll see you in the morning. He did not. And so he's dead in August. In September, she gives birth to their child. That she names Roberta after the father that she will never know. Hmm. And and then in November, after resting, because she was very sick herself, you know, for the malaria. Once she got rested in November, she got back on a ship sailed to Shanghai, then to San Francisco, then took a train to New York City where her mother was. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you think about that. Uh, they had been married less than two years. In fact, I think, what was it? She, he died one week shy of their two-year anniversary. Wow. Josh, don't so laugh. where's God, right? Can you imagine? I'm not, no, it it's it's it was it was an uncomfortable laugh, Michael. Uh, <laughs> I'm not laughing at the guy who went and preached the gospel and died. Like I'm not laughing at him. I'm just like, dude, what? Pregnant lady <laughs> die. This guy dies. She gives birth. She's alone in China with a child. That's a wild yeah. thing. And they now you you did they die because of the way the food was being treated? Is that is that correct? I'm not sure that okay. he had malaria for sure. Okay. And you get that in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, you know, I mean, it was 1910. It's hard to medical records weren't what they are today. Sure. But it was rough. And so, but you think about this, but Robert Simple, what's her name again? Amy Simple, Simple McPherson. McPherson. He changed her life in less than two years. This guy gave her her faith gave her the name she would carry the rest of her life and took her off the farm and around the world before she's 20 years old. Hmm. And so she would, his shadow would loom over her for the rest of her life. In fact, she had his portrait hanging over her fireplace in her parlor the rest of her life. I was just there two weeks ago. I got to give a lecture on Amy Simple in her parsonage uh, next to the Angelese Temple. And I was telling the students this thing. I said, he kept, she kept his portrait over her fireplace, which is right there. And it was, we were in the room where, where she was. I wonder what her yeah. second husband thought of that. Great. Oh my so, gosh. Let's talk about okay. Harold. Yeah. Let's talk about Harold a little bit. So, so, ah. well, tell us. Yeah. So she, she's back in the States. She's got a kid. She's yeah. got to meet him somehow. So mom, Minnie had left James back on the farm because he's an old codger by now, right? Again, he's 35 years older than her. So she's on fire for God. I can't stay on the farm with this old guy. I got to go to New York City and follow God's will to evangelize for the Salvation Army there. So Amy goes to live with her. She's got an apartment uh, in, in Times Square, and they are doing ministry at night on Broadway, handing out bulletins and, and, and stuff. And Amy's got this baby. You can imagine you just lost your husband. You probably got postpartum depression. You're still getting over a medical illness. You've traveled this great way. You're in 
you know, a rough part of New York City, living with your mom and you got a baby. So she was probably pretty depressed. And so sometime in 1911, we don't know how they met. We don't know the details, but she meets this guy named Harold McPherson, who is some kind of grocery store manager or something. And he begins to take her to Broadway uh, musicals and she loves that. And he is not her spiritual equal. And Minnie is against her dating him uh, because she thinks it'll take her away from God's call, which probably made Amy like him more. She was just kind of a headstrong girl. And if mom didn't Mm -hmm. like it, well, all the more reason for her to like it. And so anyway, what we know is he asked her to marry her. Uh, she held off, held off and finally said yes with a caveat. She, her whole life, she maintained that he had promised that if God called her back into uh, ministry, that he would not stand in her way. That done, they, they got married, uh, February 28th, 1912. She marries Harold, uh, McPherson. And uh, the two best things she got out of that marriage was uh, uh, her American citizenship. That's how she became an American. By the way, kind of cool story. Her great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather had fought for the British in the American Revolution in upstate New York. And so he lost. So that's how they wound up in Canada. He, he moved the McPherson family to Canada. I mean, sorry, the uh, Kennedy family to Canada. Anyway, so she's now American citizen. And uh, later that year, she gives birth to a son, to Rolf uh, McPherson, and uh, nearly kills her. Rough, rough pregnancy. Can She's I ask a quick question take- in here? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so as you're as you're telling the story, I'm I'm thinking in the back of my head because you said this guy might be taking her away from the Lord. Mom's afraid of that. Amy's like jumping on board. Is she got like bitterness? Like she is she angry at God? Do we have any record of like, hey, I moved to China to do the Lord's work? And I had a kid and then my husband died. So now she's back in the States and frustrated. And here's this other guy who he can make some money. You know, he's, he's a, he's a good husband. You know, he's not a real strong believer, but like, is she, is she playing with this idea? I mean, I'm not looking for apostasy. Absolutely. Later in her sermons, when she talked about her life, she would talk about this period Mm -hmm. and say, you know what? I made a mistake and I was just looking to build a, a, a solid home for my daughter sure you know here i am this single mother it was hard mm-hmm. i don't think she would talk in terms of depression people just the inward looking thing was coming much, later yeah. right mm-hmm. today we would say of course she was sure. uh but then yeah man she was just been through she was probably ptsd you know she was in traumas mm-hmm. all this stuff and so she marries beneath her they go to chicago now Remember, she'd lived a year in Chicago with Robert. Harold did not, he he could never compete with Robert's ghost. Never. And so they're there close to her old friends, and Harold didn't like that. And by all accounts, he was a pretty insecure guy. And so he took her to Rhode Island to live with his mom to teach her to be a more traditional wife and mother. And that did not happen. So... (laughs) The way Amy tells the story, Michael. How dare you laugh? No, you can laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, all that, all that oppression, Michael. Just laughing Josh, at her oppression. Don't, Josh, how don't dare try you? to turn this around on me. You literally, you laughed at her husband dying. This, okay, back to Anthony. Gonna... Go ahead, Anthony. <laughs> all right. So she had some 
uh, illnesses coming out of her birth and a little bit later she wound up having some issues in her lady parts and uh and then had an emergency appendicitis and when that happened they had to do surgery and she almost died and she would tell this story in her testimonial for years that uh, she heard a nurse say she's going she's going meaning she was about to die and uh and then god's voice spoke to her and said now will you go and with her last breath she said i will and uh, so anyway, she said she would, and she did. And so in June of 1915, she packed up the kids. She asked mom to send her some money. And as soon as she arri it arrived, she packed up the kids, two suitcases, waited for a night when Harold was not home, and took the kids to the train station and left him. So they went back to mom and dad, and uh, she uh, left them there. Again, there's a timeline. So this is June. Hold on. So is she claiming that the Lord told her to go preach the gospel or that the yes. Lord told her to leave her husband? Or was that, basically, was that basically one fabric there, inseparable? Like to preach the gospel, yeah. she had to leave her husband. See, because you know, yeah. I would definitely teach somebody who's trying to learn to hear the voice of God uh, cause I've had somebody tell me this before. Well, God told me to divorce my husband because he wants me to be happy. And I said, you know, that's actually not what the scripture says is a reasonable, uh, like th that's not a biblical divorce there. And God is not going to speak to you in a way contradictory to the scripture. And so, but for her, in her mind, if the Lord's saying preach the gospel, that means preach the gospel and leave your husband. That's what I'm hearing. That's how she interpreted it. Right. Well, it meant obey God and not man. Mm -hmm. And if man is your husband, it still means obey God. Now, she did not divorce him. She mm -hmm. just left. They didn't actually get divorced. This is, this is 1915. That's they didn't right. get divorced That's right. yeah. until 1921. Now, and, and there's more to the story. He comes back. Hold, let me look through that. But uh, Amy's best biographer, let's talk about books about her just for a second, because you, you tend to have two kinds of books about Amy Simple. Uh, it's either like hero worship from the true believers. And they're just like, and she was a saint among, you know, all this stuff. And, and by the way, for years, I don't know if it's still this way, but the Foursquare archives would not let you have access to their archives if you weren't going to write that kind of book. So they have all kinds of stuff oh. about her that they've not released. And mm -hmm. the, to uh, serious historians, that's that's problematic. And yeah. then you have the scandal rag books. I got one here. This is called Least of All Saints. Ouch. Oh, what it, a title. It starts. Look at this. Can you guys see this? Wait, which Amy Simple is... McPherson founded a successful American religious cult. Uh, well, and it funny, though, that they actually, they actually took that from Ephesians where Paul says that he himself is the least of all the saints, but they intended it as a dig. But they twisted it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But this guy calls it a speculative, dramatic recreation of her life. So he's guessing. And he has her in bed with guys and in, in Italy running away from the media. And, and it's just, yeah. So there's, so somewhere in between there, I think the best biography you have, if, if people are interested, uh, Edith Blumhofer, has a book called Everybody's Sister. It's by Erdman's in the Library of Religious Biographies. It's very good. I think she's done the best 
balanced job of, of, of real history. Now, she says about her leaving her husband, she does this brilliant turn where she shows how Pentecostals at that time, because they thought Jesus was coming at any minute, you could not have anything higher than your commitment to the gospel in your life. So for instance, when Amy uh, made her conversion into Pentecost, she quit school. Yeah, she That's one of the things that many didn't like because she said, what good is algebra and chemistry if Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Blumhofer says, if you extrapolate that, there's almost nothing. Didn't Jesus said, if you don't leave, your father and mother, your husband and wife, your children for my sake, right? So there was this real end times fervor that, and then part of it was the results that she had. If she hadn't gone on to these revivals and become Amy Simple, right? For them, for the early Pentecostals, clearly that meant God's hand was on her because look at the results. And that has been a something that has haunted us as Pentecostal charismatics for a hundred years, right? Could Jimmy Swaggart really have done that? Look at the size of his church. Yeah, where the ends justify the means. Exactly. And so this is just a very early uh, example of that. And so the number, so here's what happens. So again, timeline. In June, she packs up and leaves, goes out in July to her parents, gets uh, arranges to have a meeting in um, uh, a crusade in Mount Forest, Ontario in August of 1915. By the way, at the invite of a female pastor. It's very interesting. She has a lot of influences of female pastors in her life at an early age. She goes to this little Pentecostal mission in this little town in Ontario that holds, has 59 seats in it. And by the end of the week, she's packing 500 people into the services. Mm. And hundreds were saved in the coming weeks in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and in the middle of this great revival, Harold shows up. And he's going to take her home to mama. And so he's standing in the back watching her preach one night. And if, instead of taking her home, he gets slain in the spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and <laughs> rededicates his life to the Lord. So, okay. Now God has moved. We're going to go together in this. And so they hit the road as a family. And really for the next three years, um, they would travel up and down the Eastern seaboard, did a lot of, uh, meetings in Florida. They would basically flip it. So in the winter months, they'd be down in Florida and in the South and in the uh, summer months, they'd be up big rallies in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington, DC, places like that. And, uh, and really for the next three years, the ministry thrived and the marriage went South. Mm. And, and so by all accounts, Harold was a very uh, sensitive, insecure guy. He had a hard time watching his wife be the star of the show. He would set up a tent and then she would go on and, and do the magic, you know? And, and so it was a little bit like her relationship later with her mother. Her mother was very much feet on the ground and Amy was head in the clouds and together they made a good team. Uh, and Minnie was fine playing behind the scenes, but, but Harold wasn't. And uh, mm -hmm. so one time, this is a telling story, during a revival in Florida, he was standing at the back of the tent when his wife began to preach, and he heard someone in the crowd say, uh, uh, who's that guy over there? 
and her response cut him. He he mentioned this in an article like in the 40s or 50s. So this is how long he held on to this grudge. But the person said, oh, that's just the past, the preacher's husband. And so he was real insecure. He left her. Interestingly, he tried to go out on his own as an evangelist. And that did not work. He clearly did not have the gift that his wife had. Mm. And and he, for a while, he came in under, um, so you know John Ashcroft, former uh, attorney general? His mm-hmm. grandparents were Assemblies of God uh, evangelists. And so Robert McPherson traveled the country with them for a while. But anyway, they uh, eventually in 1921 divorced. She was already in L.A. by then. He filed divorce against her. She countersued. They both claimed the other one had uh, uh, had deserted them. But it was an amicable divorce. The courts gave it to them. They actually gave uh, Harold custody of his son two days a week. And he said, as much as it pains me, I'd rather not see my beloved son than have to be have anything to do with my wife. And oh, so gosh. he basically pulled himself out. Boo. He was absent from uh, Rolf's That's life. That's a bum move. For it was a bad move. Okay. Yeah. Uh, talk he, to us about the... Okay. Can you talk to us about her disappearance? Uh, like she she suddenly disappears. Do you think she was having an affair? Was this the pressure of the celebrity status? Some people say she was kidnapped. Uh, so we're, we're kind of going she down She she was this. kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so, halfway through this. We haven't talked about the scandal. I know we got to get to that. So there, there's the scandal side. We also, right. we need to talk about the, the power and the miracle side and, yes. uh, as well as just the denomination that she founded. So we got a lot of things to hit. So let's talk yeah, about we'll, the power side. Yeah. yeah. So let's hit the power okay. stuff. Between now, between 1918 and 1922, she is traveling around. People are being healed. The Washington uh, uh, D.C. newspaper sent out reporters to interview people in the the healing services she was and follow up on them and verify their healings, and they did in a secular newspaper. the The supernatural uh, responses were absolutely over the charts. You read the Pentecostal Evangel and the testimonies that are given. Um, this was not fakery. Like, now, like not, I was healed of a headache. Like what kind of no, are we talking about? These are substantial. I mean, they went and interviewed doctors. They go, I don't even believe in this, but this. I mean, these are firsthand accounts. So, I some of your listeners are cessationists. They don't believe any of this. That's fine. I'm a Pentecostal. Our biggest, you know, uh, comeback as well. My grandmother was healed and got out of the wheelchair. So don't tell me what God can't do. Uh, that's how that kind of is. But she was beloved um, while she was moving. And in 1918, so she didn't really have a home now because Harold's gone. So she decided to move the kids to L.A. Now, everybody was moving to L.A. in the 19-teens. In the 20s, 2,000 people a so, day were moving to Los Angeles. So it was the opposite of today. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's... it's yeah, they're, they're moving the to your city, Austin. That's right. Yeah, no, exactly. go ahead. They're all coming from California here. Yeah, so okay, go ahead. So it's a land of opportunity. She goes out there, but she's still traveling. So she leaves her kids with Minnie and she travels the country and she does all this stuff. Uh, anyway, this is when she speaks to the Assemblies of God, General Counsel, and and uh, five times at a healing service. And she's just all this stuff. But then she decides she needs a base. And so she decides to start a church in Los Angeles. And so she transitioned. And I, I think this is a key dynamic. In, 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 in January 1st, uh, uh, 1923, 
New Year's Day, she dedicates the Los Angeles Temple. Now, do you guys know what happens on New Year's Day every year in Los Angeles? Specifically uh, in Pasadena? Nope. Oh, Sorry. you're talking about the Rose Bowl? We're, Rose Bowl we're, Parade. I was about okay. to say, we're not pagan. I should know. I, 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 like, I, I don't know what happens there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a broad question. Yeah, the so Rose January Bowl. 1st, she goes and she decides we're going to dedicate the church on New Year's Day. She goes and finds the biggest truck in L.A. she can find. They cover it with flowers. They recreate the Angelis Temple uh, out of flowers with a pump organ inside and an entire choir singing on it. And they roll this sucker down the parade and hand out pamphlets. Come to our dedication service this afternoon, <laughs> right? What? And they win, by the way, they win a, the second place trophy in their division for the Rose Bowl. I saw the silver cup uh, when I was at her wow. house a couple of weeks ago. Oh, well, there it is. But these are the kind of promotional stunts she would do. And and when people came, the place was packed. So this, this church had 5,300 seats in it. But it would hold 7,000 people for a service, and they would turn away hundreds. And they would do this not only on Sundays, but most nights of the week. And, and so she started this church, one of the first mega churches uh, in, in, in the country. And uh, it was hugely popular. Remember I said she started that radio station? Well, mm-hmm. you have to remember there were very few radio stations. So the airwaves were not crowded. So you could pick up her radio station from L.A. as far away as the East Coast. So people heard her voice, okay, spiritually, religiously in these formats all over the country. But in 1926, this is why I say she went from being famous to being a celebrity. Do you guys know uh, Caitlin Beatty has a new book about Christian celebrities? Have you interacted with all celebrities for Jesus? I finished it today, actually. Hey. Wow, that's a weird flex. (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit bringing us all together. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was just interesting. I did. Yeah. yeah. Finished it this morning. Well, you know, then she makes a distinction between fame and celebrity. Huh. And mm-hmm. she says fame is just the byproduct of talent, right? But celebrity, what's the definition? It's social power without proximity. Mm. And that's, it's people think they know you. Oh, we love her. She's so down to earth. She's so, but they don't have any idea. Because you're not connected to people. I would say before 1926, Amy Simple McPherson is famous. Hmm. After that, she's a celebrity. Right. And I think we, we call this the complexities of Christian celebrity. I could call it the, uh, the problems uh, of Christian celebrity or the compromise of Christian celebrity. I think actually it's the celebrity that leads to a lot of the downfall. Uh, hmm. Because of what it does to us, I'm not sure... You know, Jesus went around going, hey, don't tell me about these miracles. He didn't start signing pictures to himself and selling them, which is something she did. Um, And so I think there's this dynamic. So anyway, she's as big as the world. But here's the thing. When you're an evangelist, how many sermons do you need, really? Five? You know, how many? I I, I know one evangelist in my mind, and I can preach all three of his sermons. So, uh, Yeah. yeah, I've heard him a couple times. Well, I got a church. I can't pull that off. I got to have something new every Sunday, right? Right, For sure. And so all of a sudden, she gets this pressure now. The old state, you can't just shut up and play the hits. So there's this huge amount of pressure to keep a mega church going, to Mm. keep the finances going, to keep it. 
when I, I've been an associate pastor at a mega church, and I will say this: when you feed the beast, you got to keep feeding the beast. Mm-hmm. What brought him in yeah. this time got to be bigger next time, and that mm-hmm. is exhausting. And we know that Amy was a workaholic. She did not take days off. She preached against that. She was, and so she worked herself down to the bone. She did not surround herself with people that she. She had her family, but then she eventually would fight with them. She, by the time she died, she had not seen her mother or her daughter in seven years. Hmm. And so she had this way of isolating herself, getting burnt out, probably feeling trapped. So she started going and swimming uh, as, a, as an outlet. And one day she goes out and uh, it's, it's May 18th, 1926. She goes out with her secretary to Ocean Park Beach and goes out for a swim. The secretary goes into the hotel to make a phone call. When she comes back, she's gone. She doesn't see her. She looks for her. Now, Amy's a strong swimmer, but she stays out there. She looks. She can't find her. She calls Minnie at home. She's frantic. She says, I can't find Amy. And Minnie says, she's drowned. Very, almost collectively, whatever. That night, Amy was having a, a summer. She'd just gotten back from a trip to... Uh, uh, the Holy Land, and uh, it was going to be presenting slides and doing all that that night on Tuesday night. Instead, Minnie goes out and she says, our dear sister has drowned. And that's what everybody called her, by the way, Sister Amy. She was she was everybody's sister. She's drowned, and people go nuts. They are looking for her. They get early helicopters are going out. In fact, this is kind of a funny anecdote. Uh, this is during the Prohibition, Right. It's said that alcohol prices went up in L.A. because the bootleggers from Mexico couldn't bring their hooch in at night because there were so many people on the beaches out looking for Amy Simple McPherson for weeks that they just went on up to San Francisco. Hmm. So it was a huge deal. Uh, They presumed her dead. So that was uh, on, on May 18th. On June 20th, a month later, they have a memorial service at the temple. 17,000 people across three services show up for this memorial. There are tributes. My own denomination, the Assemblies of God, that had already broken with her by this point. Uh, they published a front page, full-on article on the Pentecostal Evangel with her picture and just a weep fest of how great she was. And some of them has got people like, really? She left us or whatever. But this is the thing. So that is on uh, 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 June 20th. On June 23rd, she walks in to the sheriff's office in Douglas, Arizona, and says she's been kidnapped. So. In Arizona? In Arizona. So her story is this. When her secretary left to go make the phone call, she was approached by a couple that said, would you come and pray for our baby? He's very sick. He's in the car. We don't want to bring him out. And she says, absolutely, I'll go pray for your baby. She goes to the car and some rough men say, get in the car. They shove her in the car and they drive her to the desert of northern Mexico where they keep her imprisoned in a shack for a month and send ransom notices so, and all these. So they're of like, things. "Hey, does this baby smell like chloroform to you?" And then they, exactly, you know what I mean. <laughs> they put her in the trunk and they drive her away. Cloth, Josh, that's not funny, bro. Be on your no- you know, <laughs> So she uh, walks. One day they all go out 
I don't know, for tortillas or something. And she is left unguarded in the cabin. So she breaks out. She walks all the way across the desert of northern Mexico into Douglas, Arizona, walks into the sheriff's office, who later said she didn't look that much the worse for wear for someone who had been walking through the desert for what had to have been hours and hours. Uh, But when she came home, she got the biggest reception that Los Angeles had ever seen. The number of people that met her at the train station, over 100,000 people lined the streets. There was a police escort, a marching band ahead of her car that took her back to the temple. And, uh, and, 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 and so these are the headlines around the world. Okay, So, timeline. June 20th, disappears. June 23rd, uh, uh, I'm sorry, no, no. D- May 18th, disappears. June 20th, memorial service. June 23rd, shows back up. Okay, I, okay. I want to ask a question in between here because I, I'm pretty sure in the, some of the documentaries that I watched this week preparing for the interview that there there were news articles, journalists instantly going, hey, she was really friendly with this guy. He also went missing right around this time. So they jumped on the affair bandwagon real quick, the media did. Others were saying, this is a publicity stunt. She's just trying, like like she's been so theatrical in the past. This is a publicity stunt. Um, you know, others are saying, hey, she's overworked herself. She was just trying to get away from the celebrity lifestyle. Is is all of that true? Like there's a ton of swarming narratives yes. going on at the same time. What you got to understand is in the middle 20s, yellow journalism, newspapers in America were like the internet today. There mm-hmm. was no control, man. I mean, everybody had a little newspaper and they were... You know, it's the Hearst days where I'm going to literally slander and lie about somebody and just destroy their character in my newspaper. So you had everything from legitimate news sources to TMZ of the newspaper. And yes, they were speculating. This was a time when, you know, the more scandalous it was, this is the birth of American celebrity. And when your hero falls, that sells more papers than when they do good things. So yes, that was already happening. The rumors were already out there. And so on September 16th of that year, four months after she disappeared, uh, the LA district attorney filed uh, charges against her, against her, her secretary, and her mother for corruption of morals and obstruction of justice. And they Hmm. charged her with lying about this whole thing. And the case was that she had run off to uh, Carmel-by-the-Sea with a guy named Ken uh, Ormiston. And this is a very interesting um, dynamic. Ken Ormiston, remember I said she started this radio station, one of the first radio stations in the country. Well, that's technical. You got to get somebody to run that for you. The Los Angeles Times had a guy running a radio station for them, and she hired him, Ken Ormiston. Mm -hmm. By all accounts, probably wasn't even a Christian. He didn't really buy this stuff, but he was getting paid well, and he was running. And the two of them got very, very friendly. She would broadcast uh, a morning devotional every morning at 7 that went out all across the country. And she would broadcast her sermons. And so the first person she would see in the morning was Ken Ormiston. And sometimes the last person she would see was 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 Ken. And uh, and her mother didn't like it. There were rumors. She was cutting up. with. She would sit on the platform and pick up the direct line and be snickering with him about what people were saying in the pulpit and everybody could hear her in the balcony. 
And so Minnie's like, you got to get rid of this guy. And again, Amy is headstrong and you tell her she can't have something and that's what she wants. And so Ken's wife at one point threatened to file divorce and was going to say that an unnamed woman was interfering in her marriage. And everybody knew who that unnamed woman was. So Amy did fire him. Uh, this is in about 24. But there are indications that their relationship continued. And so Ken disappeared the same time she disappeared. And so that is the scandal. And people said there were eyewitnesses that that say they saw her. Now, remember, she's this platinum blonde, one of the most famous people in America, right? Babe Mm -hmm. Ruth, Mickey Mouse, Amy Simple. So in Carmel, people said, I just saw Amy Simple McPherson with some guy. Well, this went on for months, this trial. It was huge. I mean, it was OJ before OJ was OJ. And uh, it was all before over the white the, Bronco before the white Bronco. They were like, if the chloroform does not fit, you, you must acquit. No, does it work? Does it work? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> hey, true story. When I was in LA, the church, the church that Azusa street was birthed out of, there was a holiness church that kicked some people out that began, became the church that uh, William Seymour took over. That church got torn down. And the place that's now in its pl- in its place is a knife store where OJ bought them knives. Okay, so, so there's that full circle. You brought OJ up on legend. purpose. You were looking for a way to bring in that little fun factoid. That no, was I just, that's just a little bit uh, of uh, church history fun facts right there. Okay. Anyway, so they go to war. She in the district attorney. Now, H.L. Mencken, who's a famous writer at the time, he said the district attorney never had a chance because all he had were the newspapers. Amy had the radio and radio was instant and the newspapers the next day. So before the attorney district attorney could get his case out, Amy would already be on the radio. Spin city. Talking, yeah. Spin city talking about how, no, this is not the case. It's all this. Like and it. To this day. I mean, the official don't, don't go to the Foursquare and say, you want to investigate the story. They'll say there's no story to investigate. She was exonerated, and what happened was the district attorney had an, uh, uh, an eyewitness that backed out at the last minute. And okay. when she backed out, he realized he didn't have a case, so he dropped the charges. Okay. So, all right, so we, we have this this woman becomes really famous. She starts this church uh, that's kind of like forerunner of mega churches. She has scandal in her life, some yeah. that we don't even know what to make of today uh, in terms of like what the actual story was. So there's there's lots here. We also have just these incredible healing miracles that secular people are documenting and saying, this is yes. the real thing. Uh, we're getting close to the time where we need to finish the show here, but uh, we haven't touched much on the teachings of Amy Simple McPherson. Yeah. Uh, some people were bringing this up in the chat. I do remember at the top of the show where you talked about, hey, she had these theatrics, but she also preached the the old time gospel. Yes. So by this, do you mean like she's preaching the old rugged cross? She's preaching repentance from sin. Like talk to us about her message and maybe even in the context of the yes. four square church that she helped found Great. or founded. She, so she this contradiction on the one hand, very modern 
she would do these massive illustrated sermons, but the message itself was extremely simple. In fact, in 1918, I wrote this quote down because I wanted to get it. August 1918, at a rally in Philadelphia, when a reporter asked Sister to summarize her tenets, she said this, we have no doctrine. We believe in real repentance. We more nearly represent an old-time Methodist camp meeting than anything else. And that's kind of true. She was very Christocentric. I would say she and Karl Barth would get along because everything for her was Jesus Christ and the cross and Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever. That was her life verse. Hebrews, whatever it is, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the four squared gospel. So she was in Oakland doing a, 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 a rally and this was in the 20s, I want to say. I'm trying to think. Uh, you got me. Anyway, let, let's say late teens, early 20s. And she says God gave her this revelation and she called the message that night the four square gospel. And four square gospel means four tenets. So one of them is, it's, it's Jesus Christ. Again, it's all Christocentric. Jesus Christ, four things. He is the savior, the sanctifier, the healer, and the soon coming king. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so teriology, sanctification, uh, healing, and uh, pneumatology, right? Pneumatology. It's not pneumatology. Pneumatology. What am I? So, anyway, she presents this as her 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 tenets. It was not new to her. Uh, we know that A. B. Simpson, who founded the Christian Missionary Alliance, he was teaching this in the 1880s. He called it a uh, 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 a fourfold gospel. In fact, these are the four cardinal doctrines of the assemblies of God. So it was not new to her. Uh, remember, I said she was not uh, an, an uh, innovator so much as she was a popularizer. But she did coin the term four square with the gospel. Four square is just a construction term that means your corners are all laid out perfectly aligned so it'll have strength mm-hmm. but it was a it was a slang term in the teens that meant i'm solid with you so she did a lot of work she was very patriotic and she supported the war bond movement during the first world war for america and so there were advertisements that said i stand four square with uncle sam meaning i'm i'm behind him right i'm i'm mm-hmm. solid and so, so that charismatic put, nationalism thing, it's been going on for a minute. That's what you're trying to say. Forever. <laughs> Amy Simple McPherson was Branson before there was Branson. Okay. I'm going to give you a little entertainment. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little Jesus, and we're going to sing the national anthem at the end. I mean, it's absolutely, yeah. So anyway, that's where Foursquare Doctrine comes from. So after her split with the assemblies, now she, credentials didn't mean much to her. She, yes, she had assemblies of God. She was ordained with the assemblies of God. She also had a Methodist exhorters license. And then in, in like 1920-something, a Baptist church in San Jose, California ordained her, which was as controversial with the Baptists as it was with the Pentecostals. No doubt. And so she saw all the stink that was getting, and she resigned her credentials to the Assemblies of God because she really wanted to be not denominational. She wanted to be very ecumenical, and she was. She did more to bring uh, mainline established churches into Pentecost than anybody else before the charismatic renewal of the 60s. So credentials were more of an obstacle for her. And so in, in San Jose, uh, I'm sorry, in, in San Francisco, she started an association called the Four Square Gospel Association. Wasn't supposed to be a denomination. In fact, it was a place where Pentecostal ministers could find fellowship outside of a strict denomination. 
Which is funny because that sounds like what the assemblies was founded on the grounds of no creed exactly, but the Bible. Right? It is exactly what the assemblies of God was founded on. <laughs> but a decade later, the AG was putting all these walls and structures to things. Yeah. And she didn't like the walls and structures. So in a lot of ways, Amy Simple was just being Pentecostal. She's like, I don't need all right. this. Ironically, but, but then, four, though, the four square gospel became a denomination. Right. But four square is really close to AG, right? Oh, like, my word. Maybe they they don't require you to believe in a pre-trib rapture and they're okay with divorce. And just, I mean, just not a little bit of divorce. That would, uh, just the not. Divorce, it, <laughs> that, it would be wrong the to say they're okay with one. it. Yeah, you can be you can be divorced and remarried as a minister in the Foursquare, where you can't in the assemblies of God. I have had ministers again. I'm a presbyter. I've had to deal with these things, and guys will get divorced and want to stay in ministry, and they go, "I'll just go join the Foursquare." Now, also in the Foursquare, you, I believe they believe that speaking in tongues is an initial evidence of spirit baptism, not the initial evidence, which is what the Assemblies of God believes. And that's no small it, distinction for classical Pentecostals. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal for classical Pentecostals. But outside of that, anybody looking from the outside would go, you guys are very close. Mm -hmm. And they are right. very close. But in terms of her preaching, though, it sounds like, I mean, she says we don't have doctrine, but she did have doctrine. She would have affirmed Christian orthodoxy. She wasn't going to be an expositional preacher, like let's go verse by verse and spend the next like two years in the book of Hebrews or anything like that. But she believed the Bible, she taught the Bible, and she believed what Christians have historically articulated as the nature of Creedally, our Christian faith. The is, Trinity, is that, Christology. Right. Is that and true? she did not was there, get caught was into there the oneness? Any, she right. Could have was there any heresy? The oneness. That was very big. She was a Trinitarian uh, and 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 supported that. I mean, talked about that. But right. Would... she was more like, you know who she was like? She was like an early Robert Schuller or Norman Vincent Peale. She was very positive. She did not. People would call her the female Billy Sunday. That's not really fair. Uh, she was very different than Billy Sunday in her preaching. She did not condemn people for sin. She was much more into forgiveness and grace. She would go into brothels. When she would do her uh, her her uh, 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 revivals, she would go into the worst part of town. She would go to the brothels and have a meeting just for the sex workers and tell them, Jesus loves you and you're welcome to come. And, I, and she would just love on them. In the 1918, you know, that just wasn't done. So, mm -hmm. very... Uh, Somebody said, was she a proto-seeker sensitive? I think so. I, I, I think she wanted to make it easy for people to come in. and then. But let's focus on Jesus. This is what matters. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, she said, the reason I believe in, in spirit baptism is because Jesus did. So I'm going to preach the full gospel and then let whatever happens out of that happen. Mm-hmm. But tongues okay. was not her distinctive doctrine. Jesus was. Although hey, she interpreted tongues, right? Wasn't that she one of was her spiritual She was very gifts? gifted in interpreting tongues and always was. And to the end of her ministry, there were people being baptized in the Spirit. She had a room uh, called the Upper Room that seated 500 people above the sanctuary. And in every service, there were people up there praying in the Spirit, praying over the service below. It's where people went to tarry and receive the Spirit. So anybody that says she... Stop being Pentecostal or charismatic. 
no. There's the evidence simply does not. You may be jealous of her. You may think she's too popular. And that's a problem we have in Pentecost. It's so funny. Numbers are the double-edged sword, right? Because if we're small, that just means we're the the remnant, right? Yeah. We're the ones that got the truth. Hey. So small means God's with us. But if we're large, right? How many followers does the remnant radio have? 300,000, right? It's a sign of God's blessing, right? So you kind of want to have it both ways. You can go both ways. Pentecostal thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so people have criticized Amy for being too big and 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 for being too secular and for being too charismatic. Hmm. So yeah. there, there's there's a lot of things that I want to touch on because we, we, we didn't touch on the Great Depression. We didn't talk about how she fed some folk like like 30 percent of of her city, like a ridiculous amount of people she fed. Um, we didn't talk about her third marriage and divorce, which is yeah. probably messier than the last one. Um, but Michael does have a hard stop at 510. And I okay. asked you till five o'clock. Do you have a little bit of extra time if Michael has to sign off and I can walk through some of this with you, Anthony? I know I'm asking you on the spot on air if you have a little extra time to walk through this with us. Yeah, man, I, I'll take as much time as you need. Cool, cool. Okay, so the question um, is: Is anybody still listening to us talk about? There's 235 people watching live right now, and we'll have you know thousands of people watching. That's right. The post. So let's do it, Justin. Um, let's let's wrap her up well. Okay, okay. So so uh, we again we, we don't we don't want to be again overly you know bashing overly, but but right. marriage three and divorce three seems pretty bad. Like that that is not a good thing by anyone's. Like even if you're like, hey. We should make allotments for divorce. You can't. You can't always say that. You know, it's uh, it's the minister's fault when they get a divorce. They could have been in a bad thing. But it's like she'd been married, you know, twice, and the common denominator is her in these situations. Um, you know, uh, or at well, least the some would say. Died, so you know, you get. No, I said. I said two. Josh, I said two. Josh uh, holds her to blame for that. Well, listen. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. I'm not gonna laugh about okay. the, the death again. Here's here's yeah, the sorry. irony. You know, her disappearance and her testimony of, of her kidnapping really didn't hurt her in the church world. Everybody believed her, especially hmm. Pentecostals have a persecution complex, especially in the early part of the 20th oh, yeah. century. They're used oh, yeah. to people dragging yeah, their names crazy. through the mud, doing this. And so they all believed her when she said, they're just trying to tear me down, man. They don't want this gospel to go out. So these wicked news media are making the, up these lies about me which they would 100% believe that, you know? And so that didn't really hurt her with the church crowd. That was more, it was more secular people that thought she was sketchy that they weren't even tuning into her broadcast anyway. They didn't believe in her gospel, you know? And so they just said, oh, she's a celebrity. Didn't hurt her with the church. But in 1931, she marries this guy named David Hutton. David Hutton is the soloist in the choir. He is, I want to say, 11 years her junior. They got married at 3 in the morning in uh, uh, Yuma, Arizona on a Sunday morning because Arizona didn't have a three-day waiting period for a wedding license, and L.A. did. So it was mm. a, we got married in a fever deal. They flew back on her like a private plane so they were at church Sunday morning. They got married Sunday morning at 3 a.m. in, in uh, Arizona, flew back to L.A. for church. Nobody knew they got married. Um, what? 
And it was a huge mistake. She later would tell her students and break down. She didn't get emotional a lot uh, when she would do her teaching. But one of her students talks about a time she was talking about mistakes in her life. And this was one of them, David Hutton. Uh, they got married. Now, here's the thing. In the previous four months before this September, her daughter got married to a guy she met on a cruise ship and Amy married them. And that marriage lasted about 18 months, by the way. Uh, her son got married and her mother remarried. Hmm. So again, hmm. you can almost see here's this lonely girl. Everybody else is getting married. I, I deserve love. You know, it's almost the Harold McPherson story again. Mm-hmm. And so this is a bit of an Achilles heel for Amy, you know, this heartbreak and this loneliness and this. And so she marries this guy, uh, uh, David Hutton. He's a, he's a scumbag. I'm sorry. They were married for 18 months. He filed for divorce from her. He asked for half of her assets. He asked for control of the church. He told people he was just doing this. He thought it would boost his, his uh, uh, celebrity status. His portfolio. He wanted to be on, he wanted to be in movies. In fact, after he left her, he went to Long Beach and got into a vaudeville show. Now, for Pentecostals, going in a vaudeville show was just scandalous. So he's still married to her. He goes to Long I have, Beach. I have no clue what that kind of what kind of show that is. What it? It's a variety show. It's gonna be some singing, some dancing, some comedy, maybe a little bit blue. But it's this. So, so is it, was it like a like a Pentecostal moray that was like not like just culture? Yeah. It's like my 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 one of my mentors in Bible school was like, if I got caught in the movie theater or in a bowling yeah. alley Dude. during the return, I wouldn't go because they sell alcohol at the bowling yeah. alley. And at the my hardline assumes a God father-in-law did not come to our church plant in Austin for the first 10 years. Cause we met in a movie theater. I see. Hmm. So, so it you was, it, it's a cultural moray then not really like it's a, a cultural moray. There was nothing he, okay, he, scandalous. No, but it's just for Pentecostals, but he gets up and says, it's so good to be back in the theater. He goes, of course, I never really left. I've just been playing a role down in Los Angeles for the last two years. Mm. So that's what he thought of his marriage. Uh, but anyway, the church people, that hurt her. In fact, that led to a split in the Foursquare Gospel Movement. Uh, a bunch of churches in Iowa pulled out and got together with the Open Bible Church in, uh, in uh, uh, Oregon and started kind of a new denomination. So there was a bit of a split. You can really say with Amy, if you look at her life, that she rose with the Roaring Twenties and declined with the Depressed Thirties. So there's that picture. Mm. And that marriage really hurt her. So her Achilles heel, you know, was men. I mean, how many people in the Bible? Mm. Couldn't we say that David's Achilles heel was women, you know? So there's that. But you mentioned the Depression. Again, this woman's so complex. Yes, she was flashy, but she was also the real deal. She would get down in the streets with the the lowest of low people, Skid Row in L.A. She would she was not pretentious, and and there was a a, a female reporter during the Depression that went undercover in L.A. and she spent a month living like a homeless person in order to do an expose to show what county services and where this money's really going to, and she wrote a scandalous. Uh, piece where she said, I didn't see this is all a scam. All the money, it's not getting to the people in need. I didn't say, see anybody giving out the, 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 the loaves and fishes. She goes, except Amy Simple McPherson. Hmm. She said, when I went to her outreaches, her missions, I was cared for, I was fed, I was clothed. 
She said, she is the real deal. Mm. This lady was not a believer. And she was there to dig up dirt on all these things. So again, by all accounts, uh, the only time the Angeles Temple, she built that church on faith and it was debt-free for the first decade. It only went into debt during the Depression because Amy would not cut the budgets of of benevolence back. Mm -hmm. The money coming in was drying up, but the money going out was accelerating because of the great need in LA during the Depression. And so she wound up going into debt in large part because of the extravagant benevolences of the church. Yeah, if you're going to go into debt, go into debt for feeding homeless people. That's a good way to do it. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't, there's not like a Bible verse that says like, hey, be a slave to those who are wounded and beaten, but like, it's yeah. pretty close, probably somewhere in there, in between the lines. Michael, do you, do you have to, do you have to make like a baby and head out? Uh, yeah, I have, I have an elders meeting, uh, this, this week, but, uh, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to bow out, but, uh, you guys keep on talking. I think I could maybe just, uh, I'll, I'll kind of throw this little nugget out there. Uh, Anthony, when I hear you just talking about, uh, Amy Simple McPherson's life, a a couple of things that strike me. and, And one is what we said at the top of the show is that people are complicated for that reason. We don't want to place our hope in them. Uh, and that's true whether they're like big celebrity stage or whether it's just our local church pastor. I, uh, whenever I hear about Christians who are like, I'm leaving the faith because my pastor like messed up in this area right. or, you know, abused these people. Like, I mean, I, I get it on one hand, but on, on the other hand, I, I'm kind of like, guys, we can't put our hope in a person. It's, it's always going to fail us. And, um, and yet at the same time, another thing that I see in this is that God uses really broken people. And, Absolutely. and Anthony, I, I really wasn't aware of the family dynamics of this. Like, yes, this was an Achilles heel for her, but it was also like an Achilles heel going back into her family history. And, Absolutely. and you see this in the patriarchs, you know, Abraham was a liar. So Isaac was yeah. a liar. So Jacob was a liar and you see this sort of thing just passing down and um, and yet God used them. And I mean, for God to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he might as well say, I'm the God of dysfunctional families. I mean, this is like a really dysfunctional <laughs> my family. My sermon yesterday, my sermon yesterday was on Judah and Tamar. Now that's oh, a yeah. story, you know? That's nuts. And yet in the genealogy in Matthew, it's Judah, it's Tamar, it's Perez. They're in Jesus' line, man. And he doesn't yeah. hide from it. Yeah, so that's right. we can't hide from the flaws you know in the end you want to talk about can we talk about her death for a second because this i think you, really encapsulates can, the but tension. just before you do i'm gonna bow out and i'm just gonna say josh just hold hold the laughter bro i will i will laugh less as long <laughs> as he doesn't tell any of those really funny death stories i, I promise if you laugh it's gotten so dark you're a darker man. Okay, I will, I. I, will, I will. Okay, guys. I, wait, guys you, know, you guys often, don't know. After making 500 episodes of Remnant Radio, sometimes you just get the giggles. Okay, sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, do. it's all good. Okay. Hey, it happens to all of us. Hey, guys. All right. Over and out. Hey, I'm going to hugs, my This is Michael. Michael. God bless you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, so pick Michael. up right where you left off there, Anthony. You're you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I think her death encapsulates a lot of the tension. Okay. So. She is now, she's 50s, uh, early 50s. Um, 
She is racked with arthritis. Uh, she's been a very active person all her life uh, and, and is paying the price for that now. And it just has a lot of health issues, but she is still out hitting the road. In fact, she goes to Oakland. She's doing a, a, a revival there. She does a big open carriage ride. There's tens of thousands of people in the streets. And uh, she does a service. The next night, she's going to do her life story. So she needs to get some rest for that. And uh, that night, uh, sometime in the night, she dies of an overdose of sleeping pills. Uh, and so her son finds her the next day. This is uh, September 27, 1944. She was 53 years old. And she died alone in a hotel room, uh, you know, o overdosing on uh, on these pills. Now, it was not, uh, the coroner's report found it was accidental, mm -hmm. wasn't suicidal. She was seemed to be in, in, in very good spirits. There'd be no reason for that. Um, but she had a, a, a kidney issue. And one of the side effects of these pills was forgetfulness. So what we speculated is she didn't remember how many she had taken. She just knew she needed to get a night's sleep. So she took one, forgot she and she's one, alone. She she's hasn't alone. Seen her, she hasn't seen her kid, her, her mother in seen her seven kid. years. So no one's monitoring her pill usage. Right. Now her son is. She's still very close to her son. Okay. By the way, her son, Rolf, will lead the Foursquare movement until he retires in 1988. So okay. Rolf was a solid stand-up guy. It's a long but, run. Yeah. Um, but she tried to call uh, some doctors the next morning, evidently. And they were her her doctor was in surgery and couldn't answer. And and so then by the time Rolf got there to pick her up, she was she was gone. Um, but when they had her funeral, October 9th, 1944, which, by the way, was on her birthday. Um, 50,000 people uh, viewed her body while it was lying in state in the Angeles Temple. 50,000 people, 6,000 people attended her funeral. Um, the florists said it was the most flowers ever seen in one place in the city of Los Angeles. So she was was mourned, and the comment that people said the most when they came by to view her casket was, that's the woman who led me to Jesus. That's the woman who gave me this leg that I now stand on, who opened my eyes, I was blind. I mean, just these stories came out again and again, and she was so beloved Um but of these 6,000 people that attended her funeral, her mom and her daughter weren't there. Um, she'd also fired her daughter later on, uh, after her mother even. And so she was a complex woman. I think she was a very lonely woman. She distanced herself. And I think we've talked about celebrity. I'm not sure Christians are supposed to be celebrities. Yeah. I think maybe the worst thing that ever happened to Amy Silver McPherson was her celebrity status. Um, you know, when God was using her in the teens and in the twenties, I mean, you're going to get famous. Jesus was famous, yeah. But but celebrity is something different, and and I think it, uh, I think it poisoned her some. Yeah, no, that's good. Oh. That, that, I think that's there's a lot of insight to that. Um, you know, you you mentioned okay, so we've we've li we've listed divorce number one, divorce number two. You mentioned off air that there was a lot of. Uh, there's definitely rumors, right? And and we could attribute that to slanderous, you know, newspapers yeah. just trying to sell papers. But then you also said that there were people that are that were claiming that they had a relationship with Amy Simple McPherson. You know, um, that that creates again a lot of 
discomfort um, for, for people who are watching. I, I think I love what Michael said as he was signing off. One of the um, the series that we did recently was on the Kansas City Prophets. We did like a 14-part series with Sam Storms yes, retelling the history of the Kansas City Prophets. Mike Bickle came on uh, with us, did some of that. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a good series because we have these guys like Paul Kane who who just didn't end well. Like he just, you know, and, and the stuff that, that was, I mean, repented for, um, I mean, towards the end of his life, I mean, there's still emails going out that are just not healthy or biblical or godly in any way. Um, there's, there, there was just some really dark stuff surrounding these stories. And it's just so wild to see God's hand on someone moving supernaturally. But at the same time, there's other stuff going on. And, And, um, you know, we, we talk about leadership in the body of Christ, right? Like we, we can't pick on gifting alone, right? Competency and character are the two things that we're looking for in leadership. And, um, secondly, you know, God can manifest power. You know, he, I love the, the story in the Bible where God speaks through a donkey, you know, or he loosens yeah. a donkey's mouth to speak rather is what happens. And it was pretty miraculous, right? Um, and, and when people talk about all these orators who have great speaking abilities, it's like, hey, God can loosen the mouth of a donkey. He can he can loosen the mouth of me, right? Like I get really excited when uh, that story is in the Bible because, again, God is accredited for the, the sign, the wonder, the mighty work, and the the dirt he used uh, to, to do that sign or wonder or work. Um, we shouldn't be looking to the dirt if it's something special. So, um, you know, I, I think that Amy's life is, uh, like you said, it's it's a mixed bag no family well not no family but two estranged members of the family not there at the funeral lots of people there still looking to her as the one who made the big impact on their life um for the cause of the gospel you you mentioned like celebrity status in this book that you and michael have both read that i just feel totally left out on um how, how do you how would you say for you know christians today i mean we've got yeah YouTubers. I mean, I'm I'm a 31 year old guy who started Remnant Radio at 27, uh, with n- nearly no training in video space, no theological training. Um, and I'm out here teaching theology, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we've, like you said, we've built an audience of 400,000 viewers a month. Um, that's a wild thing for me. And there are kids out there on TikTok who've got twice as many followers as I do. How do we as Christians protect ourselves from celebrity status sorts of things? Yeah. I'd be curious how what kind of insights you would give us, um, because God can clearly use us no matter where we're at. So how do we guard sure. our heart in that? Sure. And, you know, and let's be honest, there's an argument that some people would make that says, who cares how broken Amy Simple was? Look at all the good she did. Yeah, right. Okay. But on the other hand, this is a woman who, you know, the ministry was very uh, hard for her. And I I think she isolated herself. I think that's one lesson. We are made for community. And I have had uh, friends in church planting world who have left ministry after moral failures. And one of the common denominators to all of them is they isolated, Mm -hmm. um, even from me in ways. And, And you think nobody understands uh, well, here's this person understands. And I can see that happening with, with, with Amy. So I think we have to be very, very careful when we have secrets. Who do you have in your life that you can tell anything to? Hmm. Um, that's very important. The, 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 the nature of repentance 
is a key Christian value that we need to hold, the nature of confession. Um, and I think especially as evangelicals, Pentecostals, we think it's enough to get in our prayer closet and do it with the Lord. But there's a place for communal uh, confession. I'm not Catholic, obviously. I'm not, I'm not building a box in the corner of the church, but there's a place hey, uh, for that dynamic. Even the Catholics can get stuff right sometimes, okay? And confession to a priest is not a bad thing, you know? I, I went to a Lutheran church and an Anglican church, and that's part of the liturgy, um, is you go and you confess sin. And it's a public thing. We, we confess it publicly. But um, I, I am not into Catholic bashing. In fact, I say, look, the Assemblies of God is 100 years old, and look what we've jacked up. Give us 2,000 years and see what sure, we've done. Sure, this is sure. Human. This is human tradition. <laughs> so there's that. And then the other thing, though, I think there's a key dynamic where we have to— I've got a picture over here uh, on my wall of the crucifixion. It's the Grunwald altarpiece. And there's a. it's very famous. Karl Barth had it in his study. And there's John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus with his bony finger. And it says, written in Latin on it, it says, I must decrease that he might increase. And I think we have to be careful in American society. There is something inherently dangerous about me increasing, about platforming me. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been talking about this, the whole Mars Hill thing. Everybody, I mean, all these things we're talking about, this, this is killing us right now. Yeah. And there's something about where is the line when the platforming ceases to be about promoting Christ and begins to be about promoting me. I'll give you an illustration. This is one of the places I, I, I think Amy Simple McPherson started to go wrong. In the teens, it was all about Jesus. And then there's this one story I read, and I go, that just set me off a little bit. In 1921, she's doing a rally in St. Louis, and she wants to raise some money for the church back in, in that she's building in L.A. And so she autographs pictures of herself and sells them for a dollar. Hmm. Why? Why would you need to do that? Pragmatically, did it raise a lot of money? Yes, but it raised it on your image, mm -hmm. not Christ's image. Why didn't you just say, look, Jesus wants to save souls. Would you give a dollar for every soul you want to see saved in the kingdom through this church? Mm. You know, and so it's things like that. I think when we, I, I mean, this is controversial, but I don't put, we've sent out mailers and stuff from the church and I've never put my name on them or my, 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 my picture on them. And I have been told by church consultants that I'm an idiot for not doing that. Sure. Because people need to connect with you. They need to feel like they know you. But again, it's it's Caitlin Beatty's definition of celebrity, that it's social power without proximity. Mm. So I guess that's the thing. Who in your ministry knows you? Can people, if you're pastoring a church, can your people tell you three weaknesses of their pastor? You know, my people can. I confess to them the areas that I'm not, you know, I'm not everything. But, you know, I'm like, hey, here's where my big idols are. And I got to watch out for this. And we're walking this road together. So there's one example, and and that's Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so we've got to get our eyes on him, get our eyes off of us. It's hard to do because we all like control. Yeah. But we all like money. We all like power. I, I hope you have, you know, 20,000 people watch this podcast. Sure. But there's danger in that. Yeah if it becomes about us. That's good. That's good. So keep it about Jesus, get it off us, have a bit of accountability, confess some sin. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a good way to stay on the straight and narrow. I like it. Anthony, and man, for thank every you so much televangelist for book you read, for every televangelist book you read that they're selling at the Christian bookstore, read Eugene Peterson, yeah. read Henry now, read the great 
soulful spiritual thinkers of the faith. Also good. All right. Also good. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I have never, I don't know if I've ever, I've read a couple of televangelists, depending on how you're defining televangelist books. Uh, I, I didn't like reading Anthony. I was dyslexic when I started, well, forever. Uh, but I uh, started Remnant Radio in 2017 uh, and probably hadn't read but a handful of books. And most of them were forced upon me uh, by educational systems. Uh, I never read for pleasure. Uh, and since starting Remnant Radio, the books I've read have been out of absolute necessity to keep reading to do shows like this so uh yeah so that'll be easy if i if i take your advice i just won't have to read anything that'll be good because i don't read televangelist books my ratios will do you be know good. why dyslexic people tend to be animal lovers why because dog is good there it is there it is All because time, dog, dog is good, is good. Yeah. all the time Anthony, thank you so much for coming on and ending the program with a pun. It was spectacular. Thank you, Joshua. Um, Appreciate man, you. It's 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 a great. I'd love to. You said you you've got a series that you're brewing on. We, we should probably think of a way of doing that and talking about all of the revivals that came out of California, the good, the bad, the ugly of it. That that could be a fun series to to collaborate on. We might we might have to discuss doing yeah. that. That could be a lot of fun. We we walked it with these students, and it was so much fun. Just so cool. much fun. Well, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. If you're watching, you want to support the channel, uh, you, you really liked it, go give in the links in the description. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a recurring gift on Patreon. If you give on Patreon, it keeps the show uh, alive, keeps uh, us creating content just like this. So uh, if you want to support the channel, you can do that in the description. And we'll see you. And Joshua uh, will sign an autographed picture of himself I, uh, for you. I will sign photos of Michael Roundtree with my name. So you're getting the best of both worlds. His face and my signature. Um, anyway, uh, guys, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, uh, uh, Anthony. And uh, we'll see the rest of you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So you guys know on Tuesdays, we're going to start releasing our interviews at ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society. We, we got a bunch of interviews that we'll be releasing. Uh, hopefully, while releasing those short interviews, uh, I'll be able to get our spooky evangelism series that's on neo-paganism, witchcraft, Wicca, occult, all that cool stuff. Um, that apologetic series, it was on a hard drive that kind of got lost. We've shipped it off. Hopefully can get recovered by the time that we finish our ETS episodes. So, uh, that way you kind of have an expectation of what to expect. Thanks guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.